soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. So we pick up in verse 24. Paul says this, uh, that he'd become a minister of the gospel uh, on their behalf. And then verse 24, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints or believers. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery, that would be the mystery of the gospel, among the Gentiles or all peoples, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, that is Jesus, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect or literally mature in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Now, we remember that Paul the Apostle was once very hostile to Christians in the, in the message of the gospel. He was religious from a Jewish background, but like most of the Jews of his time, he rejected Jesus as the king of the Jews. And he didn't just reject Jesus with indifference, like some people might reject Jesus in your life with indifference, co-workers, family, relatives, neighbors, it's like whatever, they, they just reject Jesus, but they're not hostile towards you for your faith in Jesus. But he was very hostile. He's like that co-worker that really comes after you because of your faith, or that relative that wants to pick a fight with you every family gathering during the holidays because of your faith. He was very hostile, but not just hostile, like antagonistic or verbally. He was hostile to the point of like, you know, people who kill Christians around the planet, like people who blow up churches on Easter Sunday like they did in Sri Lanka, like we saw last week. He was hostile to the point that he was so obsessed with his war against Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he used his authority as a religious leader for the Jews to go out and track down Christians, to arrest them with legal authority and put them in jail, and if possible, see them executed with capital punishment for in his mind, blaspheming against God as he perceived it, much like in Saudi Arabia, they, you know, they kill people who they feel blaspheme against Muhammad, or they kill people they think speak against the government, or they tweet something about a protest, and they get publicly executed, okay? That's, that's how deep and profound Saul of Tarsus' hatred was for the person of Jesus Christ and those who followed him. Now, of course, before he was Paul the Apostle, he was Saul of Tarsus. And it was in that journey to Damascus when he was going to find Christians. He was going 100 miles to track down Christians. I mean, that's how deep his... We mentioned recently how the Pharisees would go 60 miles to attack Jesus in the Sea of Galilee for his doctrine and pick a fight with him. 
Paul went 100 miles to go to Damascus to find Christians, to bring them back, put them in prison, wreck their life, and execute them, and eradicate them from the face of the earth. In his own testimony, he would say before rulers in the latter part of the book of Acts that he not only arrested these people, he was condoning them being executed and put to death. He was driven with religious zeal that was contrary to the gospel. He was deceived and he was in darkness. And when he came to Christ and he had that we were struck down by Jesus on the road to Damascus, he heard the voice that no one else heard. They heard a noise, but not the voice of the Lord. And he was blinded for three days and he was led there into the city of Damascus where the believer Ananias came and prayed for him. And when Ananias prayed for him, he said, he spoke on behalf of Jesus prophetically. They said, you must show him how much he'll suffer for me. So he's going to suffer for me, Paul the Apostle, and I'm going to bring him before kings and leaders and he's going to bear testimony for me. So the calling of Paul's life was revealed the very moment that he was converted in faith in Jesus through being struck down and blinded there on the road to Damascus. God told him, Jesus told him, you're going to suffer for me. And when Paul would suffer for him, like in the boat in Acts 27, Jesus came and said, look, I got your back. You're all going to come. Everyone's granted. Every soul in this boat's granted to you. You're going to come through this. And so Paul had a very personal relationship with Jesus Christ, having persecuted him through attacking Christians. Jesus said to Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, is it not? I mean, that's what Jesus said to Paul at his conversion. He called him out on fighting him. Saul, Saul, why thou persecutest thou me? He, he called him out right in the beginning that way. And then in his ministries, when Paul talked about his sufferings with Christ, for Christ, he saw it all as part of his calling, that that was just what God was working in his life, that that was just part of the plan. Now, here, as he writes to Colossians, he is in under house arrest. He does not have the freedoms that we have. When you leave here tonight, you have freedoms. You leave here tonight, you can hang around for food and fellowship. We have the food and fellowship tonight, by the way. So you're welcome to hang out and just break bread and enjoy the body of Christ and people and build those friendships. You're welcome to do that. Hey, you want to go to Chipotle? You can go to Chipotle. You want to go over to Mimi's or whatever? You, you, you know, you can... You, you, we leave here tonight, you have all kinds of freedoms. And, you know, like, those are things we take for granted. But Paul did not have those freedoms. And he did not have them because of his faith in Jesus Christ. But it was through that affliction and persecution in that place where he was still, and the Lord spoke to him these great insights that we refer to as the Apostles' Doctrine, where God, by the Holy Spirit, revealed to Paul these things that were a shadow of things that come in the Old Testament, and then he expounded on them through the Holy Spirit in writing and being led to write a good portion of the New Testament, such as this letter here to the Colossians. So in his afflictions of his ministry came forth the insights that are shared with us through the church age to this day on this night as we continue in the kingdom age of the church here on earth as we are as the church right now. But it was through those afflictions which God spoke from the very beginning of his calling. Now, in verse 24... As you go through verse 29, it all deals with his ministry. So I think we can summarize these passages that we read tonight as the stewardship of ministry. This is the stewardship of Paul's ministry. There's personal things about his ministry here, but it's the stewardship. Now, a stewardship is something entrusted to you. So 
many times most of us understand, but not necessarily all of us. I never knew what stewardship meant before I gave my life to Christ. But it's the idea of your responsibility. It's something entrusted to you. So when dad, you know, when you're growing up in Carlsbad in the 70s and dad says, I'm going, when I come back, the lawn needs to be mowed and, you know, that kind of thing. That's a stewardship, okay? Dad says, mow the lawn. And if you do it and he comes home and it's done, you fulfilled your stewardship. If you didn't mow the lawn or mom says do the dishes and you didn't do the dishes and she comes home, you didn't fulfill. It's a stewardship. It's something entrusted to you. And parents teach that to their kids early on, a stewardship of certain things. Teachers give homework. In a sense, that's a stewardship, right? That's preparing for life. Stewardship are things that are entrusted to each one of us personally by authorities over us to do them. And when you're faithful in a job, it's a faithful stewardship, and that's generally how you get promoted. That's, that's how that works. Like in war, we find that soldiers that are very good leaders, generally during the time of war, they advance in their rank rather rapidly. Like in the Civil War, you could have been gone in as a lieutenant. You might have been a general by the end of the Civil War if you're faithful in how you managed and, and did things as a, as, a, as a leader in military. So stewardship is the idea of faithful, of something entrusted to you and being faithful with it. And we, of course, we did... A full study on stewardship about three months ago going through Luke. Might have been a little bit longer than that. It was probably four months ago. But we did a whole topical message on stewardship because Jesus taught a lot on stewardship. In fact, we really did another study, too, on stewardship and accountability at the end of the age, at the end of our life, on that stewardship. We actually had two studies on stewardship. One, just what it is, and the other one, the accountability of it. So here we're looking at Paul's ministry and it's a stewardship, and he uses that very word, stewardship, of his ministry. So I want to take the context here, having talked about the sufferings that he went through, and bring it to each one of us tonight. Because each, when the moment we come to Christ, we have a stewardship. We're entrusted with a calling. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous theologian, German theologian from the 30s, who took on the liberals of his day, who denied the scriptures, and he took them on. He took on Hitler as well. He took on anyone that would come against Christ in the sense of, in the marketplace of, of thought and, and, and uh, ideas. He, he stood for the gospel. And his famous book, it's one of the most famous Christian books of literature that you can read, is uh, The Cost of Discipleship. And I've mentioned this sometimes, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, is considered a Christian classic. And, of course... He was a voice of truth in the, between World War I and World War II and what we saw happen in, that affected the entire planet, a war that took 50 million people's lives, if not more than that, during that time between those two wars. He could have fled to America. He did come to America in 1937, and he could have avoided all that happened in Germany when the whole World War II really broke out in fullness when Hitler invaded Poland. But... In America, he determined that he couldn't be part of the rebuilding process for the nation of Germany after the war was over, when it ran its course, if he wasn't with the people when they went through the war and all the sufferings of the war. So Bonhoeffer, who was in New York at the time, went back to Germany to be with the people. And of course, it was that time uh, he did the best he could to fight the evil. And eventually he was considered a conspirator by Hitler and his people. He was incarcerated and eventually he was executed just three weeks or so before the war was done as a conspirator against Hitler by the, by the Nazis. But in his famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, there's a phrase that sums up the book, The Cost of Discipleship, and it is this. When Jesus bids a man to follow, he bids them to die. It's a very famous quote from Bonhoeffer. And we can say when Jesus bids a woman to follow him, he bids her to die. 
You know, Jesus said, if anyone follow him, let them take up their cross and die daily. And the cross is a place of execution. It's not so much the physical death we're thinking of, like young kids praising the Lord last Sunday morning in a church in Sri Lanka. I've seen pictures of the church before it was bombed. The people praising the Lord. There's actually a photo that you can see. And um, it's not so much called to die in the sense of being persecuted for your faith, where people execute you like Paul was doing to Christians when he was Saul of Tarsus. It's more the, the death of our pride, our self-will, our selfishness, the things that are contrary to God's work in our life and his will in, his life, in our life, that those things have to be uh, dealt with. To be the better version of you, the redeemed version of you through faith in Jesus, to make you the woman you're meant to be, it's, it's, it's a... It's a death sentence. The Holy Spirit puts to death the selfishness, the things that are prideful, the things that are contrary to the good work of the Lord in our life. And he does it for young men and young women and young older men, older women. And the whole idea is that really the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is in us first. Christ in us, the hope of glory, is in us to make us more like Christ. And then it's through us to shine for Christ by that work he's done in us. And so when you think about ministry, when we give our life to Christ, we're all called to a ministry and we're all given a stewardship. So it's a general principle. As we look at the topic here of Paul's, the stewardship of Paul's ministry, the general principle that we can have for all of us that when we come to Christ, we have a ministry, but that ministry all comes forth and progresses and matures in the character of who we are as women and men of God by, in a sense, a very real sense, like Bonhoeffer said, a death sentence where the Holy Spirit is allowed through our volitional will to work in our life through testings and trials and tribulations and even tragedies to mold us into the character of Christ to be that much more effective for Christ and to be completely ready for the day of Christ when we step into eternity. Some of us are very much complete works of art when we step into eternity because we chose to grow in the Lord through all of our experiences during our life time, whether it's a short life or a long life, but some of us are more incomplete because we didn't let those things happen in character, <clears throat> excuse me, that God wanted to do. And so that's the, the real test for each one of us is that each one of us has a ministry, a stewardship that we are entrusted with. That's a ministry. No one's exempt from ministry. When we come to Christ, we have a calling. Paul's, we see it here. What he's going through. He's living it. Think about this. Right here in this text, he's living it. He's writing this letter from house arrest. He's living it. So, as we think about our calling in ministry and the stewardship of our ministry, let's look at verse 24. The suffering and afflictions of the spiritual leadership, the spiritual leader, is the first thing I'll point out. He said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Look at this connection of thought. He is suffering loss of personal freedom. He suffered many things physically, and he attributed it to the benefit of others. He connected that what sufferings he went through emotionally, mentally, physically with life, that those sufferings were allowed by the Lord in him to produce Christ, more of Christ from him, the more that there is of Paul the Apostle, spirit-filled, the better the world is, as opposed to Saul of Tarsus, who's fleshly, right? I mean, let's just draw the picture. Here's Saul of Tarsus, who's a carnal man, rebelling against God. Here's Paul the Apostle, who's a spiritual man, subject to the Lord. This man kills people. He imprisons people. 
It's all about him. He's puffed up with knowledge. He knows the Bible better than almost anyone on the planet. This man has been humbled by Christ, blinded by Christ. This man has gone through many afflictions. This this man was afflicting people. This man is afflicted. This man brought the punishment. This man received the punishment. And this man is the man that's been transformed that changed the world through his suffering. So which one is a better benefit to humanity and history? Saul of Tarsus or Paul the Apostle? You see, that's, there's, a, there's a Saul of Tarsus in all of us before Christ, and there's a Paul the Apostle in all of us after Christ. Because again, there's a fullness of who we're meant to be in Christ when we're letting the Lord work in our life, and we're under that death sentence. And so Paul looked at his afflictions. He said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Now, Paul would say to the early church that through many uh, tribulations, one must inherit the kingdom of God. And the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. We know that life guarantees us life and death, Ecclesiastes 3. It guarantees us a time to be born and a time to die. It guarantees us a time to gather and to scatter, a time of rejoicing and a time of sorrow. And as I always say, life guarantees you tears. The question is, do you choose to rejoice when it's time to rejoice? It is what it is. That happens in the human experience. You can't live 80 years, right? We know that. You can't get to 80 years and not be affected by the, the sin of our own life, the sin of other people's lives impacting our life, and then the impact of sin overall of people we love suffering, people we love dying, and all these things. It's just it's the human experience. So the question is, is Christ going to be over that human experience in our life? And are we going to let him mold and shape us, like Romans eight twenty eight says, through those experiences? But when you come to Christ, something interesting also happens in that mix. Everything's redeemed because that is the promise that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So whatever happens in our life that is an affliction, that is a trial, that is a suffering, it has an eternal purpose. So you can have a lot of pain physically in life, but if you don't know the Lord, you can't say it has an eternal purpose. But if you know the Lord, that pain, that suffering has an eternal purpose. Jesus is a man of sorrows, we're told in the Old Testament. So... He knows heartache. As it says in Hebrews, he's able to minister to the uttermost, having been tested and suffered the things and afflictions that we, he's able to save us to the uttermost as we go through our experiences. But we have sufferings and afflictions that God allows that are part of the death sentence. There are things that God allows in our life. It's, it's, it's unbiblical to think that when you give your life to Christ that you'll never have a bad day or have difficulties. And there are people that believe that. That's just not true. Since Jesus is a man of sorrows, he's working through life experiences to teach us that he's greater than those sorrows. And he might allow certain sorrows as we stand for righteousness to make us more conformed to his image that we're the finished product he wants us to be at the end of our journey. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide and broad is the path that leads to death, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. And when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, about the same time he wrote this letter, he was talking about that he, can, that he could do all things through Christ, not for conquering, but for persevering. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, was very transparent in his life experiences. And he said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. It's quite a phrase, because he rejoiced in his sufferings, in the pain that I've experienced in this last month, the worst physical pain I've ever experienced in my life, at various times. I... I, cannot, I can tell you, I'm not rejoicing. If you've had severe pain, I think of uh, Ryland went through stuff with very painful stuff last year. And I mean, like, I just, severe pain is severe pain. We try and manage pain, like I mentioned recently. And 
we re- I just the pain I was in in the last 24 hours, the last thing I'm thinking about is rejoicing in that pain. But again, I mentioned this Tuesday night, when you're in severe pain, it, it makes your focus on life very clear and very simple. It becomes very sharp. When you're in so much pain that you're thinking heaven's better than earth, that's very serious pain, and some of you can relate to that. When you have pain that's so severe that heaven seems like a greater option than time, space, and matter, it, it gives you, or sorrow, where you have such great sorrow, you'd rather be in heaven than on earth. Those, those are not meant to be exit, exits for earth, but they're, they're definitely meant to prepare us for what the real prize is. For getting those things behind, we press on what lies ahead to that we're called God in Christ Jesus. So physical pain sharpens our focus, or afflictions or persecutions, they sharpen our focus or sorrow and heartache to, to really be focused on heaven, which is the real objective of our life and everything that God's doing in our life. And that we can rejoice in. When you suffer loss and heartache and persecution, we can rejoice in that ultimately because if it's moving us to a clearer vision of being ready for heaven. I mentioned this Tuesday night, but in excruciating pain, you start thinking like, okay, do I have anything against anybody? Because I don't want to have anything against anybody. The things you think about when you have excruciating pain. Uh, Is my house in order? Are there things not right with the Lord? But the problem with pain is, you notice this, you're generally not sharp mentally. Can I get a witness on that? When you're really, really, really sick with this flu, like a stomach flu or something like that, you're not sharp. So you're more vulnerable too. My mom said this to me when she almost died most recently, about a month ago. She said, Joe, I I just, I lose my train of thought. I'm in the emergency room. I can't think clearly. I can't get my mind on the Lord. Like, right. You're more vulnerable. But it kind of comes back to when you're in a lot of pain, I think more often than not, we just say, Jesus help, Jesus mercy, Jesus grace, and Forgive me and help me forgive others. Pain, suffering, and affliction sharpen our focus for heaven and sorrow and heartache. They sharpen our focus. They remind us that this is not our home. When I was at therapy today, I looked to my left. It was Time Magazine, 100 Most Important People, and I laughed. Because their version of the 100 most important people is not God's version of all the most important people. Most important and influential people. Some actresses on the cover. I'm like, you're not the most important person on this planet. You can read that as much. You can believe that as much as you like. Took a quick look. It's just all who. It's just nonsense. You don't see Anne Graham Lotz in there fighting for her life with cancer. You don't see Franklin Graham in there being attacked for his faith and his convictions for the word of God. You don't see Greg Laurie in there for filling up stadiums and bringing people to the kingdom. You don't see you and me and the body of Christ in there. We don't see the kids standing for Christ in their high school campuses amongst great persecution. We don't see moms and dads taking on bad legislation for the benefit of a future generation for their children and looking out for their interests. You don't see those people in that. See, the kingdom is so different than the temporal. And pain and sorrow sharpen our vision to what really, really matters and we get past all the noise and things that they don't matter. 50 years from now, 10 years from now, staring down death, everyone's got to stare it down. See, God's working in us for eternity. 
He doesn't care who, we, who the 50 most beautiful people on the planet are or the 100 most important people are in the sense that how the world sees it. Enter by the narrow gate. And God is working in us for all eternity as he was working in Paul with the stewardship of the ministry. And that's what we need to keep our perspective on. So when we, when we have the sufferings and we have the afflictions and we have the heartache that, that he's allowing in our life as followers of Christ, we need to let that work together for good. And we need to find the place of rejoicing because the rejoicing is not in the experience, but in what it's sharpening for us that we can rejoice and it's making us more who we're meant to be in Christ in this timeline that we're in and rejoice that it's preparing us better for the day of the Lord to, be, to stand before the Lord. We don't want to be shallow or soft on the day of Christ Jesus. We want to have depth, and we want to have backbone and fiber in the kingdom. And there's a, there's a calling of that suffering where it, it refines us. And Paul said his suffering was for others. Now, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, unless a grain of wheat dies, it cannot bring forth a crop. Paul the Apostle, when writing the Corinthians, said that his the suffering of the apostles is on public display to the benefit of those they're ministering to. And he said, it's, while death is working in us, it's producing life in you. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.